sunshine bitches welcome back to another episode of just a quick pinch i'm your host connie wang i'm so excited for you guys today to hear my conversation with dr stephanie tran so our whole combo today is kind of like a big sister like little chat all about career her advice with finding mentors her advice kind of like finding her footing in her career and finding her voice um and just like navigating all that is you know transitioning from school into your career and becoming like a baby grown-up basically we also chat about like style and like all sorts of fun stuff so basically it really is just like a catching up between two friends i really like these kinds of like chill episodes all that good stuff but first things first we got our hot girl huddle so hit it editing connie I have recently made the executive decision that while healthcare horoscopes was fun, pulling the tarot cards was fun, something about it just wasn't resonating with me anymore. So we are just currently just retiring the healthcare horoscopes for a bit. However, it doesn't mean that we have to go without any horoscopes chat because I have some chat to chatter about. Uh, right now, it is Mercury in retrograde, unfortunately. I'm curious, are you guys feeling it? Because I just feel like one, I definitely feel it in terms of like the technology communications from because I'm trying to like clear my patients at school and it's just they're not clearing yet. So there's that. But then also, I don't know, I just I feel like whenever Mercury is in retrograde, for those of you guys that don't know, basically, it kind of feels like everything is slow. Everything feels harder than usual. There's always resistance of some sort when you try to get something done. Like, let's say you have to go to the store to pick up ketchup. There's no ketchup to be found. Let's say uh, you, like, ask for a swipe at school. Oh, you want this swipe? You can't get this swipe until you get all these other swipes. So, yeah, you can sense my frustration with Mercury being in retrograde. Um, it's okay, though, because it happens all the time, and you know what? We get through it every time. So, yeah, that's my little astrology chit chat section but okay even though healthcare horoscopes may be temporarily retired we are still doing my eyes and nose my ins and outs of the week so i'm just going to share with you guys my in of the week is have you guys tried rx bars i know they've like been a thing for a while um i've never gotten them because they're like kind of hella expensive actually like one box of five rx bars is like eight dollars and 99 cents for my grocery store i don't know that just seems like a lot to me but they are so freaking good. For those of you guys that don't know, they are these like little protein bars. And then like on the label, I don't know if this is actually accurate. It says like the ingredients in them. Like it'll be like RX bar made of like four dates, eight peanuts or almonds, like five chocolate chips. Like, I don't know. I, okay. I, I'm, I don't like them because of that purpose. I just think it's kind of cute. Like the marketing, but you guys, the taste is so good. It's very, well, one, it's very karyogenic. I, I do have to warn you guys. They're very sticky, very datey, but also very like chocolatey and chewy, very satisfying to eat. I know you guys know I was on a Belvita kick for a while for like my on-the-go breakfast bars those just weren't hitting anymore i think i just needed like more texture and stuff i genuinely wake up feeling excited to eat like excited to start my day just so that i can eat my rx bars so anyways oh wait this reminds me i've been meaning to look up you know what while i have you here let me look it up i've been meaning to make my own rx bars because then i'll save a lot more so let's see homemade rx what an excellent blog post. They did a cost per bar breakdown sheet. Okay, so apparently, if you make your RX bars at home, they only cost about a dollar to make, whereas at the store, they cost about $2.50. All you do is blend up almonds, cashews, egg white protein powder, unsweetened cocoa powder, and dates. Oh, and sea salt. 
Okay, yeah, so anyways, I am going to try to make my own RX bars at home because RX bars are my end of the week. They're just so delicious and chewy and wonderful. So yeah, um, if you guys, if the price also deterred you guys from buying them, you know what, maybe just don't buy them because I feel like my life was a lot cheaper before I realized I liked them. <laughs> So maybe like just don't but if you are curious definitely give them a try because they taste so good Alrighty, and then my out of the week is you guys it is that wonderful time of the day when Ellie is playing with her water bowl. Anyways, it is that wonderful time of the year where actually Ellie is shedding a lot. I think it's like shedding season or something. I don't know. If you literally look, the way that our carpet literally looks like a black sweater right now. There are tufts of her hair everywhere. She's doing this thing with her water bowl where she's literally, it's like her skateboard and she like shoves her paws in it and then just rides across the kitchen. Ellie, thank you. And she like rides across. Oh, wait, maybe she's asking for water. Okay, wait one second. Can you guys hear her drinking right now? Okay, not me being a bad dog mom. She actually wasn't, I mean, she is kind of obnoxious. That is how she asks for water in this house. Whenever her water bowl is empty, she will start banging around her water bowl and be like, waiter. Um, so yeah, basically that is what she was doing. Sorry, guys. But anyways, like I was saying, it is that time of year. Ellie is shedding like a lot. And my carpet right now is literally atrocious. We got one of those like Roomba kind of um, do-it-yourself vacuums that allegedly <laughs> is supposed to specialize in getting rid of pet hair. But um, but you really wouldn't know that by the way that my carpet literally looks like a shag sweater right now. So if you guys have any tips or anything for how I can like better clean my carpet um, and my floors of all this pet hair... Honestly, the solution might have to just be like me brushing her more often, but even that is tough because I feel like when I try to brush her hair, her hair doesn't really stick to the brush. It kind of just falls onto the floor anyway. I, I think I, you know what's funny? The other day I realized I literally go to school some days looking like so furry, like I really need to bring a lint roller to school from now on. Yeah, anyways, that is my current out of the week. Don't worry, Ellie, my out is not you. It's just your hair. Spit talk is a little bit redundant from the I's and O's of the week. So you know what? From now on, I'm going to try this thing where Hot Girl Huddle is more of this kind of loosey-goosey, just like this little 10-minute brief discussion of me, my life, my ins and outs, kind of combining spit talk and my I's and O's of the week. So yeah, anyways, without further ado, now it is time for the main episode. Like I said, this is a really good one with Dr. Stephanie Tran, all about her big sister career advice. We talk stuff. Anyways, hope you guys enjoy. Now on to the main episode. Alrighty, you guys. I am so excited. I have my good friend and my Instagram big sis, uh, Dr. Stephanie Tran. She is a fabulous endodontist in New York City. And she's also just someone I've been so excited to have on the podcast since day one. Um, Dr. Stephanie, welcome to the podcast. Start with a rapid fire series of questions. I thought this would be like a fun little way to introduce you. All right. I'm excited. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining in. Okay, so uh, this sequence is going to be like a one, two, three format. Okay. So first, number one, what's your number one, only one product okay. in your skincare routine? All right, uh, definitely sunscreen. As you know, anti-aging, but I really like the Asian kind of sunscreens that are like super hydrating. So my number one is currently like that viral one, Beauty of Joseon, that Korean um, sunscreen. It's like super moisturizing and hydrating. Oh my God, you are such a big sister. <laughs> Saying like the sunscreen, I was like, I swear to God, she's going to say SPF because like my sister's a derm and she's just like, SPF everything. Yes. 
I'm like, are you sure it's not this really cute, like, serum with the cute packaging and the applicator? She's like, no, SPF. But a lot of the Korean and, like, Asian SPFs are, like, serum or skincare based. So definitely good to look into those. Where do you get cool, like, Korean products like that? Is there an online place or in person? I mean, there's some... You could try Amazon if it's, like, a certified Amazon, like, store. So, like, certain certain ones, like, Innistree and stuff like that are actually... Oh, yes. They have their own Amazon, uh, like, store. But, like, you, if you're worried about if it's certified or not, there's a lot of, like, Korean, you know, female-founded Korean skincare websites. There's a bunch of them out there that you can do. I mean, I live in New York City. So I'm really lucky there is K-Town and so a lot of the stores have um, have Korean beauty products now and then if you really want to be safe and have a great return policy obviously Sephora has a lot as well. Question number two now your favorite two restaurants in New York City. All right I'll give you a high-end one and a low-end one. Okay so um, a lot of my followers and friends know I'm a big foodie. I love food and so I will actually like live that dinkwad lifestyle focusing on food and if for anyone who doesn't know dinkwad is like that TikToky acronym for double income no kids with a dog love that lifestyle so because i really like food um so my first number one it's a little more high-end but like worth the price is best one of the best homokases in new york city which also means that's one of the best omakase in the U.S. period is Sushi Naz. It's amazing omakase, like really good sushi that's also interesting and slightly innovative without being like too modernist or anything. And then mm. the second one that is like um, like affordable price range, a little bit of a splurge, but great for like a special night out is Atto Boy. So okay. in New York City and in the U.S. in general, there's definitely a big surge of cool Asian American chefs who are like trying to bring Asian um, uh, flavors through uh, into their cooking and Atto Boy is done by this like Korean couple and it's really interesting innovative food so definitely highly recommend amazing fried chicken and like all the dishes are really innovative and good and great I love that nowadays because I feel like in the past there's this connotation or expectation that Asian food had to be cheap mm -hmm. like it's like how come French and Italian food can be this like upscale kind of experience and then now I feel like there's so many cool like Asian fusion places and like modern places popping up mm -hmm. Jimmy and I are actually going to New York City for like super quick like two days mm -hmm. um next week actually so mm -hmm. i'll have to run some more recommendations by you <laughs> oh for sure for sure like but atto boy if you can get a reservation is is worth it and then last rapid fire question although i always turn it into like non-rapid fire because i just keep asking the guest more <laughs> it's more of like a moderate paced question mm -hmm. round um what are three words that you would use to describe your sense of style okay so i really like fashion so i love this question um i think the three words that would describe me are like sophisticated, um, like masculine, feminine as like a hyphenation because I really like that mix and then uh, a little bit of edge. Mm. Oh, I could so see that. I feel like that is so spot on. How did you like growing up when you were developing your sense of style? Were you always like, this is it? Or did you try in a bunch of different hats and then eventually settle on like these three? Oh, definitely tried a bunch of things. Like, I mean, I'm a millennial. That gives away my <laughs> age. So I definitely tried a lot of, like, the slightly punkier stuff, slightly, like, you know, K-poppy, uh, Asian-influenced stuff because there was a lot of, like, 
Japanese and Taiwanese and like K-pop stuff influenced during that generation. I mean, I think you and I are not too far in age, but mm -mm, yeah. um, and then also you know trying things that are a little girly or a little more masculine, and also it comes with like age figuring yourself out, which I think is definitely something that's like a big theme. I I think hopefully what we'll talk about is just like trying to figure yourself out and just trying different things. Part of why I want to have you on is I feel like you know every big sister. Like, we all, as little sisters, we look up to you guys. We're like, they have it all figured out. But I recognize now, like, even the big sisters go through phases where, like, they're still figuring things out. So when you graduated from your dental school, you graduated from University of Pacific at age 23. Like, yes. what were the thoughts and feelings in your head being a graduated licensed dentist at 23? It was like, oh, my God. I get to, I'm a doctor now? That's, like, I feel like... I barely can drink. <laughs> um, <laughs> exactly. Um, actually, I wasn't even like the youngest in my class by far. I was like, really fourth, I think. There was a bunch okay. of us who were really accelerated. But um, also, I will definitely say it was like, oh my gosh, thank goodness I have gotten here because I wanted to become a dentist since I was like six or seven. So that was definitely, I was like very laser focused on that particular goal. Um, and so it was something I was working towards for a long time. And that's just because I really loved it right from when I was young. Um, so that was a big thought. And then also was like, oh my gosh, what is the next step going to be? I spent my whole life so laser focused. Now I have it what's what's going to be next which is very daunting but also really exciting at the same time oh my gosh wait you perfectly articulated like kind of how i feel right now because like graduation is now like 60 days away so everyone's like oh it's so exciting but like mm -hmm. i don't know if it's just because i'm someone that really doesn't like change but a part mm -hmm. of me like all i know is like school for mm -hmm. like two years of undergrad four years of pharmacy school four years of dental school mm -hmm. and i'm kind of like scared isn't the right word because like i want to get out of here <laughs> um but i do kind of feel some sort of like dauntingness of being like what do you mean there's no more like validation from teachers and there's no more like academic achievement like how did you handle that daunting thought it was more like oh my god thank god i don't have any more <laughs> tests and uh practicals and uh checks but also wow, I don't have that that hand-holding or that guidance anymore, right. which is exhilarating, but definitely a little daunting. So um, I think we're getting ready to graduate. You have to first take like that deep breath and be happy with, oh my gosh, you've achieved so much. You've worked so hard to get there and you didn't just get there from nothing. You worked so hard. So that same kind of mentality and hard work um, mentality is still going to continue. It's not like it's just going to disappear into nothing just because you graduated. So be confident with that. And then the other thing is like, remember that you have actually learned everything to get there and be like a great safe beginner, but not just have about all the skills to like be that safe beginner, but all the skills to like critically analyze what the next step would be or critically analyze what the correct maybe decisions should be or the correct like tr uh, treatments might be even when things change or even when things develop because what we learn in school isn't just like the end-all be-all but also like it's that 
critical thinking of, of analyzing situations and learning new things and then applying those new things to what what really what really works and what doesn't it sounds like a lot of that is then like developing your own sense of judgment because it's kind of like in school we always like almost have that safety net of mm -hmm. like knowing that like someone else's word goes and then mm -hmm. now it's kind of like okay like no you need to learn how to like like you said critically think and like apply everything that you were taught mm -hmm. into now real life practice well in that case like what was something that you feel like when you first got out of school it used to like scare the living crap out of you and now you're like that was so silly for me to worry about mm -hmm. and then alternatively what's then something that you're like i didn't see that coming like that was a surprise oh, yeah. <laughs> oh i love that one okay so one of the biggest things i always say is that when people okay so in relation to this i want to like give everyone the advice don't feel like dental school was it for everything that you need to know or what all the decisions you make in the future are going to be so you know one of the questions i often get was did i know i wanted to go into endo not at all i knew i really liked endo but i didn't know i wanted to specialize in it i actually originally wanted to be like restorative i really loved like cosmetic and aesthetics and full mouth and like bringing you know bringing smiles to people's faces the like you know before and afters etc um and because and i love that and that really has built a background to my endodontic um treatment as well as my comprehensive like full comprehensive care di diagnosis when I'm even when I approach endo but you know be open to what you will learn and what you realize you really do like or what you really don't like so um so that was one and then one of the things that I thought in dental school I hated I would never like to do that was oral surgery or just surgeries in general so it just happened to be at my dental school in my experience i didn't have that many surgeries i had a ton of endo which is why i liked endo i was terrified of surgery um coming out of school i thought you know no way i'm not gonna be really good at it or it just seemed really daunting and then i did a gpr that really helped because i was seeing all different types of surgery i did perio i did oral surgery i did complicated like medical management type stuff and that as well as i had a lot of advice from mentors and i practiced as a general dentist for a few years i did a lot of surgery in that type of practice and i realized i really liked it it wasn't as scary and daunting i just needed the experience and some of the guidance from like gpr and as well as some of the more information and learning how to do it better and easier um that made me actually really love it and so now even now i still really like surgery i still and i still like to do other like surgical procedures even in endo so like um apicos or extract every once in a while I'll do an extraction um or like uh you know some of the more odd stuff like external resorption repairs and things like that any kind of surgical procedures excision and drain um inds incision and drainage kind of procedures they don't scare me as much as they used to um and then another thing that i thought i really liked in school i'm like uh you know what it's actually a lot harder than it looks and it's just you know not quite as gratifying as actually some of like the composite restorative i'm like in school we do so many of them i'm like making things so beautiful and I'm now i'm like an ended honest and i'm like oh my gosh <laughs> class two with a subjectual margin and bleeding everywhere not forget it like i don't really want to deal with all the restorative all the time like i'll do restorative too um and i'm a restorative dentist by background but like that doesn't mean i love all of it anymore or even like crowns and stuff like that i'm like oh my gosh it just 
so much has developed and that's just not really my jam anymore but it really shouldn't be if i was still liking to do crowns and anadonis i was like that's <laughs> that's true it's so funny to kind of hear about your evolution of what you thought you liked and then you realize you didn't because i think a lot of times like earlier on at least in our careers we have this idea like this is who i'm gonna mm-hmm. be and then when things start to stray it's like no but it was supposed to be like this not exactly. like this mm-hmm. how did you like find that courage then to really follow like what you truly wanted rather than on paper what you always said and thought you wanted these are such great questions i by the way i have to really commend you you really do a good job of asking questions um oh, thank you <laughs> yeah so that is a great question that i really like to talk about when other you know younger new grads ask me about like my journey or like how i decided on things the biggest thing is to just keep an open mind to all aspects of dentistry so keeping an open mind to how you might want to practice you know when we're in school we're taught oh you only want to do x y and z for your path you're either going to own your own practice associate and then buy in buy somebody out like it has to be certain things if you don't buy in right away or if you don't have your own practice by this age or by this number of years out you're like not doing as well or things like that you know like it if you put all these pressures upon yourself it's just gonna drag you down and dentistry is like so hard on so many levels or just medicine in general trying to constantly feel like oh my god i had this calling but it's not going like this perfect path then it can really bring you down and be very discouraging so trying to be open to okay you know what what is the right fit for the path maybe it's not going to be opening right away because i want to take these courses first or maybe I have this mentor that I really want to learn from first and then kind of gauge and see where I'm at maybe like you thought you're going to be restorative and then it turns out you really love a specialty but being open to those things and being open to maybe your your journey is going to change maybe the location you thought you're going to be in might be different like oh you have this amazing job opportunity in this other state you weren't expecting to be there but like it's you know it's a new and exciting opportunity just being open to those things is being really important but on the like um when we are being open we also i really advocate for trying to really decide what are your strengths and weaknesses what really makes you happy brings you joy because you have to take those like little joys of what we do in practice to make it something that you can be passionate about all the time right if you just just drudge on all the time and you're just unhappy all the time you may have to consider like maybe i should pivot whether it's that job is just it's bringing you down into a bad mental space maybe those types of procedures are not going to make you as happy right like frank spear um i've posted about this before he, he did a fantastic lecture before if you can listen to it about like it's about he talks about his career and how he decided how he how he decided he was going to put his path and the biggest thing is he talked about is like do the things that make you happy do um do the procedures that make you happy treat the patients that make you happy work with staff that make you happy so what that looks like to each person is going to be a little different whether it's going to be their own staff that they choose that they partner with that they that kind of thing it's all going to be different for everyone else so really honing in on okay what is making me happy or not happy whether it's certain types of procedures you may want to cut them out if they're really just making you so unhappy um, and then figuring out okay what kind of practices are you an early morning kind of practice person you want to see patients at 7 a.m. you want to finish at 4 p.m. done like or are you a late morning oh my gosh like 
it's really rough to get out of bed. If you, if you're like, I am not a morning person, I cannot see an 8 a.m. patient. Like, it's, <laughs> even right now, like today I had 6 a.m. like peds patients <gasps> as because it is a special needs, like pediatric sedation <laughs> patient, I will do it because of like the parents are asking me and pediatrics is asking me, but I am not doing 6 a.m. on the regular. Like, right. this is a once a month thing. Um, Things like that. that, really deciding what makes you happy, what brings you joy, and who, what kind of people will bring you joy. So the, the kind of staff, even honing in, well, you like your assistants to be a certain way, to uh, some people like really talkative assistants because they want to be the ones to be a little bit more introverted and have the assistants uh. do all the intros. Some people love assistants who don't say anything a little bit a little intense for me but that's just their vibe they like to <laughs> right. be the one to speak to talk everything and the assistant just is like like a, a machine like well oiled <laughs> passing instruments doing stuff but it's like silence it's like a beautiful symphony but just in silence right you'll see surgeons or who are like that or or chefs who are like that yeah. um same thing with the types of staff and the types of scheduling a lot of people talk about like how you schedule you know, people say, oh, what's most productive, block schedule, and blah, blah, blah. Besides that, also decide, like, how you want to schedule your life. Do you want to start off with certain procedures? Do you want to end with certain procedures? Do you, um, is waking, like, waking up first thing in the morning to do a, like, gnarly calcified case with a, like, awful post to remove and stuff like that? Eh, might not be everybody's cup of tea. Some people, that, like, drives them. Some people want to start off with, like, huge extractions, implants, all that stuff. And some people want, like, you know, they dream to start with, like, a full mouth rehab type of case, you know? Or some people like to end with a full mouth rehab. It really, you really want to think about those things that kind of, like, make you happy and, like, can keep you going and, like, drive you to still want to do a lot. Because that will help you be happier. That helps you do better treatment for your patients and then that will help you like continue to have that passion in what we do from everything that you're saying it sounds <laughs> like like as a student I'm like you have choices now I'm yeah. like oh my gosh I never like thought of so many choices mm -hmm. and like that's the thing that's exciting but also daunting to me mm -hmm. and like something like a choice that I have to act to actively think about and make right now is something you touched upon, which is like finding the right mentor. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like mentor finding mentorship and finding the right associateship, it feels a lot like dating because there's like people on paper where you're like, wow, and then you meet them and you're like, that spark isn't really there. Mm -hmm. And then you, you get blown away by the people that on paper you weren't expecting, right? Mm -hmm. So for you personally, what, what, what do you look for in a mentor? Okay. Great question. So I would like to say, first off, with a mentor, like, enjoy the ones who, who, who can help you a lot and who gave great guidance. It doesn't necessarily mean it's forever. You know, maybe it's for a season. Maybe it's for a reason, whatever that is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, like, they'll be the right mentor in that situation. So don't feel like you're absolutely locked on, like that's it. Because, you know, you never know what happens um, with the different mentorships and where you grow as a person. So, mm. you know, again, with that whole keeping an open mind thing. So, but what I look for in a mentor in like that kind of space is like, okay, well, what is my, what what am I looking to improve on for that thing, right? So at, I had restorative mentors and then I had endo mentors. That's what I'm saying. Like, you know, things can change and stuff. Mm. Um, 
And then, so if you're like looking to improve, you want to try to focus on who really does who is excellent in that kind of thing that you're looking to improve on, whether it's like practice management or, um, or like restorative or specific procedures, um, you know, then contact them and be open to it, uh, and see like, okay, if they're open to, even if it's just talking, not to like necessarily start with a, like, Oh my God, be my mentor, but more like, Hey, I'd like to ask you a lot of questions. What I really like about like the Instagram community is you can kind of see who really does kind of work in your style and then a lot of people are super nice and that you'll reach out and they give you a lot of great advice and then um, but also like looking for somebody who you know is kind of more in line with your style and personality too so like if you um, knowing really kind of knowing yourself and what you're looking for and how you want to practice as a practitioner is going to be really important when choosing these are all things that like i wish that school could have taught us but like school can only teach us like so much really they're like busy teaching us how to like not hurt someone <laughs> and like that's kind of it <laughs> exactly and it's really hard to teach some of these like uh you know, soft skills or whatever, yeah. like being a leader or being a business owner and things like that. Those are really hard to teach. I mean, they don't even teach these things in MBAs, let alone, mm. they're not teaching when they teach like an MBA, even at the highest level MBAs, you know, Wharton, um, Harvard, stuff like that. They're not literally teaching. This is how you become a CEO. Like right. it's more <laughs> the kind of general skills associated with that and certain people um, have like the, you know, opportunities or the skill set or whatever to do that thing. So it's same mm. thing. Um, I think dentistry often does a pretty good job of like the kind of people who want to go into it to have a really nice balance of like personality, hand skills and, um, scientific kind of thinking and background. And then, so that, that's why it often kind of, um, already like feeds into for people who are, have that personality to begin with. Right, like a certain type of, of person. Also, yeah. like now that I'm thinking about it, if my school ever had like a leadership class, I would probably be like snoozing through it or like yeah. not like shopping while I, like I wouldn't be exactly. like seriously being like how to be a leader, you know? Yeah, or even like how to talk to patients, right? Like yeah. I mean, we've all look, every single dental school has the um practice on each other, you yes. know, practice on fake stab actors, lab, all that stuff. <laughs> you can learn it to an extent, but um, number one, everybody has their own style of talking to patients and presenting treatment plans or being all that stuff. You can have little tips and tricks and stuff like that. Um, and I definitely, on your note about asking about a mentor, I definitely love, you know, asking more experienced um, clinicians and more experienced doctors, like how would they have approached this particular problem? How would they mm. have approached this kind of patient? How would it, they have, like, how would it have, they have said something? And they have given me so many awesome pearls that I use to this day. But those are not pearls that you can teach every single like line in dental school, because it's not a script. People right. are different. And how do you, it's very hard to teach reading people. It's very hard to teach personalities. It's very hard right. to teach, um, like understanding motivations, understanding what drives a patient, understanding like what is making someone happy or sad or not. So you can teach that to a certain extent, but I mean, that's a really hard skill, like reading people. That's right. Not exactly. The easiest you can only learn so much, but um, part of that is also just kind of developing your own style. So, you know, on that note, and you're saying like, how did I, how, how did I, um, 
think about like what I liked to do or how I liked to talk uh, treat patients and stuff like that and like for endo it's all about initial impressions with patients it's really mm. thinking about okay you know patients can be really scared about when they when they first come what can I do to help help ease their fears but with my kind of personality don't feel like well just because um this like older male dentist might say like this would it necessarily work for you would it work for your style would it work for your personality so yeah be happy mm. with like kind of figuring yourself out and what you how you like to approach things how you like to talk to people that's going to be really important too you know as an endodontist You've been put in a situation where a lot of times your patients are coming to you in, like, the worst pain of their life. Like, they're not having a grand old time. It's not popping in to, like, just say hi, really. What have you learned about, like, kind of managing patients that are at that high level of pain, super unhappy currently? Mm -hmm. So I think that's, a, like, a really a common misconception about endo. It's that people don't realize that endo really requires great first impression skills. Mm. So if you look at all the different specialties and you want to think about like how do they treat patients, how do they, um, like what kind of, of patient care is it? Restorative is long-term care. Mm. Orthodontics is long-term care. Endo and OS, you're meeting me one day. I Maybe two days. I always tell a patient, if you have to see me a whole bunch of times, it's probably not a good <laughs> idea. Whereas you yeah. want to be seeing that restorative dentist a lot of times. Restorative dentists get the benefit of long-term. They're developing long-term relationships. They're learning about patients from their babies to when mm. their babies like grow up and graduate school. They're learning. They get to know people from when they're kids to when they get married. They get to see that beautiful like relationship blossom. Endo is that you have to. Ha you have to ease a patient's fear and like have them trust you and feel comfortable in your care from the first 10 minutes so it's much more of a, a like short term but high reward in many ways because it's instantly helping a patient feel better instantly treating a problem so there's like there's different kinds you have to like when whenever i people kind of look at the different specialties and things like that we're all treating patients in a slightly different way Mm -hmm. So with endo, it can be really tough because people are in often so much pain, they haven't slept, they haven't eaten, everything's uncomfortable, and worst of all, they're coming in with that like connotation or that um, stereotype that, oh my god, root canals are horrible, root canals right. are scary, root canals are like going to be miserable. So definitely, I like to try to reassure them. I, um, my personal style of talking to patients is definitely a lot of like high value education, telling them you know exactly what's going to happen. I think really my focus, especially as a woman, so I look at it how I would like to know when I'm being treated. Mm. So as a woman, like historically, women often feel like they don't get enough information with a doctor that they um, are just you know, the old school doctors, the way it was just, you need a root canal, that's it. You don't ask why, you're not asking what your options are, you're not, like, that was just an old school mentality of, of medicine, right? Mm. Just, the doctor says, so I'm going to do it. Um, and then, unfortunately, because of that old school mentality, that also really bled into, like, a lot of women feeling like that in their problems and their kind of healthcare. So I never like for a patient to ever feel like they were forced to do something or that they didn't have the information or if only I had known or mm. I wish I had known all the possible side effects. So because that's personally how I would like to be treated as a patient. So I definitely like to go over, you know, exactly why. 
um, that they are like there with me, what I see, what I find, showing them what the testing showed and like showing, okay, so see how that's different or see what this looks like on an x-ray, explain that to them so that they feel comfortable, that they feel educated and that also letting them know exact a kind of exactly what to expect after. So I, you know, nobody likes surprises. So that's personally my style. Mm-hmm. I also like to make it a little bit more like lighthearted or um, kind of a little bit with a little bit of levity compared to, you know, just because like it doesn't have to be so dreary and depressing and stuff like that because Endo is so scary as it is. So it's like, I'm a petite woman and I'm not a scary kind of person. So I'm going to (laughs) make it kind of like a little bit more enjoyable and fun and like, hey, this is how it is. Try to crack a joke here and there, that kind of thing. But it's really about finding your own personal style. So when a patient is like really in a lot of fear, I try to reassure them and then continuing with that reassurance throughout the procedure. So I actually do talk a little bit more during my procedures and kind of let them know how things are going or let them know. Because that's something I think that people don't really realize that makes dentistry like harder um, as a type of like healthcare is that when we're doing our procedures, unlike surgery, um, like medicine surgery, patients are asleep, they're out of it, they yeah. know. Our patients are awake, we're in their face, they are staring at us while we're working, and no matter what procedure you're doing, no matter how bad the procedure is going, you still have to maintain like constant pleasantness, professionalism, you can't like, you know, surgery, they talk about in the OR, surgeons are always swearing and stuff like that, you can't do that with a patient. You can't right. be like angry, throwing stuff down and whatever with a, in front of a patient. You have to maintain like this level of general pleasantness and professionalism. So a lot of times that can make what we do really, really hard. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I, that's exactly what I always say to my friends is I'm like, imagine doing surgery, but it's like this close and like the patient thinks they know what's going on, but like they don't actually know what's going on. But then you see the, our little our, like eyes darting back and forth. Mm-hmm. It's like, it breeds this ground for confusion. Quick question. Sure. What are you wearing at work? Are you like super cute dressed up or do you wear scrubs to work? I'm just oh, like no, trying no, to envision scrubs. it. For really? Sure. You got scrubs? I always wear scrubs. Well, ever since like COVID, I definitely start wearing scrubs all the time. And uh-huh. especially because nowadays there's so many scrub companies, as we know. We don't even have to list all of them. But there's so many of yeah, them yeah. that are, like, really cute. Um, I do – okay, so I don't wear dress clothes anymore because if I get hypochlora on them, it's done. So I don't oh, wear true. And you definitely want to wear comfy shoes because if you wear dress clothes, you can't really wear, like, sneaker sneakers with them. It's just not true. as comfortable. So, like – when you're walking around, you're on your feet, you're going to from room to room, you want to be comfortable to a certain extent. But how to, like, set yourself apart with, like, a little bit of style and stuff yeah. like that. Um, I usually, like, focus on the jewelry. So, like, you know, the eye makeup doesn't have to be really involved. I don't actually don't really always wear makeup for me because, you know, we're masked up thanks to COVID with, like, caps. But I do try to have, like, a little jewelry on. So, like, um, cute earrings or, like, a cute necklace. And if you like to have, like, nice, just nicely done eye makeup, that can help because, you know, then through the mask. I personally don't wear scrubs with a lot of colors just because... Um, well, first off, it's New York and everything's in black, but also, <laughs> but also because I, um, you know, I do, I want to fit in with the rest of the staff and the docs who usually wear black, but also you want to have this like 
feeling of confidence and I don't necessarily ever want to be like have uh, have my patients like per- perceive me in a different way because it's like bright pink so mm. but that is not to detract from anybody who likes to wear pink scrubs I think it's awesome but personally I just wear like black or navy blue and like cute gold jewelry usually Mm-hmm. That makes sense. It's kind of like feeding off of your audience because, like, yeah. if your audience would prefer, like, that certain color, then that makes sense. Or if yeah. they, if you know that they would interpret things a certain way. Mm-hmm. Where's your favorite place to get cute gold earrings? Because I'm trying to find a place that's, like, not going to break the bank, but also mm-hmm. it's stuff that's not going to, like, tarnish. Like, I'm ready to start, like, investing and stop going to Forever 21. <laughs> okay, solid gold jewelry, 100%. First off, my ears are a little sensitive, so no nickel oh. for me. But I hate Vermeil, okay? All the things that, oh my god, Vermeil's really great. It's a layer of gold, blah, 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 blah. No, forget it. Why? What's lie. wrong with it? Gold Vermeil tarnishes always. I don't care really? what I've had. I've bought them from different <laughs> brands, you know, like, including the little medical uh, label ones, all that. Every single one is tarnished. And even the companies, like, that sell it, they'll tell, uh-huh. they'll tell you. It will tarnish over time. You have to, like, polish and all that stuff. So even, like, just say, like, the classic Majori. If yeah. you buy Vermeil, they tell you straight up in the store, like, hey, these are going to, like, change color a little bit over time. So just keep that in mind. So solid gold jewelry or make sure, like, it's very well gold-plated. So mm. from the eight, from for a price range, gold-plated that's, like, won't tarnish and is really, really good quality. Etsy has a lot of them. Mm-hmm. And then okay. in the affordable, like, solid gold jewelry route, then you have, like, Majori... Um, and that range or things like that. So majority is actually fairly solid. Yeah. If it's so, if it's solid gold, does that mean that I can like wear it in the shower? Dude, I'm a lazy girl. I'm yeah, me too. Lazy, <laughs> like I'm a lazy girl. Gold, solid gold, shower, sleep with it, all that stuff. You're good. Okay, uh, yeah, I need something like that because, like, the reason why I always forget to put on jewelry is if I have to take it off before mm-hmm. the shower, I'll, I'll never put it back on. Exactly. Even even with my engagement ring because, like, I always wash my hands. I have to, like, be better about, like, do you keep your engagement ring on when you wash your hands? Always. In fact, always. as a fun fact, my jeweler said that it's actually good to just keep it on because the soap keeps it clean anyway. And how to clean diamond jewelry, just fun fact for everybody, he said it's literally just soap and a toothbrush. You oh don't gosh. need fancy jewelry cleaners. Don't use ultrasonics. Ultrasonics can actually shake the stones out sometimes. Toothbrush. This is coming from a jeweler who like works with all different types of, of nice jewels and stuff like that. For diamonds, toothbrush, soap. Oh my gosh. Okay, that like makes me feel so much better mm-hmm. because like me, I feel like I'm I'm not used to like nice jewelry, so I'm yeah. always like, oh, I have to take it off because like I don't exactly. want to like get it dirty. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I feel like you're someone that's like super inspirational. It's so easy to like listen to all Thanks. the advice you're giving. Yeah. No, seriously, and like look at you and all of your success, and it's just like wow. She's like she has it all figured out. Take us back to, like, a time or experience or a challenge that you've actually gone through behind the scenes with your career that, like, maybe we wouldn't, like, know about. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely feeling confident in, like, the procedures and, like, your ability as a doctor is going to be the first challenge. Like, you know, imposter syndrome is real for, mm-hmm. especially for a lot of women. I think in many ways it, it's trying to get over that feeling or that um, uh, that assumption of people underestimating you and sometimes you underestimating yourself. Mm. So having that confidence of like, okay, you, you have worked really hard to get where you're at, like knowing where 
um, knowing what you've learned and like the struggles you've gotten through along the way definitely can um, you want to focus on that and that and have that confidence as a practitioner and have that confidence of like yeah you do know like your what you are recommending or what you're talking about because it's very easy to like wait you know um, I got I had some pushback or I didn't achieve that am I do I know enough am I good enough all that stuff those are right. really hard like um areas to overcome at first and then also being open to the fact that the path that you thought like the path that i thought i was going to take is not always going to be there but it's um you know you think you touched upon it a little bit in your lucky girl uh video podcast recently episode recently i can't believe um, you listened to it <laughs> oh i love your i, I love the, a lot of the podcasts i think you have a lot of great great little nuggets of wisdom and also just like a lot of good food for thought that I think a lot of people and women especially but a lot of people can learn from so it's like um maybe your path isn't going exactly the way you thought it is but at least put yourself in the positions and the opportunities to either try to get the path that you think you're going to or at least be open to the path like a different path that maybe that opportunity is showing you hey this is going to be pretty good so um that can be like a job opportunity yeah it might be in a different location but you know you're going to take that because it's going to put you in like a better position to do x y and z so for me part of it was like getting it was deciding on on going into endo where i was going to go into endo and then where i was going to practice as an endodontist mm. so i like really thought originally that so i practiced in in philadelphia for a few years as a general dentist and I totally thought I was gonna be like going into end one of the endo programs of Philly because Philly is like you know historically this cradle of endodontics it's like really I didn't early, know that yeah some of the earliest endo programs like the history of it like some of the earliest you know I was a big endo nerd even as a GP so I was like the paper some of the earliest papers the paper 1960s those are from these like philadelphia <laughs> and um endodontists and like i want to be part of that history right like that like uh the name and the prowess and all that stuff of like philadelphia yeah. programs and you know it was it ended up just like not being not working out but then also okay i got when i applied I applied to as many programs as I could because I was like, I want to make sure I get into endo. I love endo. At that point, I knew I loved endo. That was mm. it. That was my passion. And for me, I was very open to wherever I went into residency. I was just like, I don't care where the location is. I can deal with it for two or three years. I just want to get the best education possible. So part like a fairly new program at the time, University of Tennessee, you know, I was like, well, you know what? I'm just going to... I'm just gonna throw my application in there. Tennessee wasn't really on my radar. It was a fairly new program, like only a few years old at the time. Didn't know much about it. I was like, I'm, I need to make sure though I have as many opportunities as possible. You never know where you're gonna get in. My heart was set on Philly, but let's see where else. And then when I got, oh, when I was doing my application for Tennessee, I was like, oh, they're asking for an additional essay. Do I really want to apply here? <laughs> okay, wait. Oh, never mind. Never mind. I need to make sure I give myself that opportunity. All right, let me do it. And then so I applied to Tennessee. And then when I did that interview, in comparison to all my other interviews, including my Philadelphia ones, I was like, wow, Tennessee, they really seemed like it was a great program. But most importantly, most importantly, that mentorship thing, the director, when you're choosing any kind of residency program, whether it's GPR or specialty, the director and the chairman 
totally affect the entire atmosphere and the attitude of the program. They are going to be directly your mentor, you know? That so makes sense. the director and chairman of Tennessee at the time were like super kind. He, they like knew my application inside and out. They like wow. were asking about like So that means they cared about who I was. There right. were some places like that barely looked at my application. But like there were some uh, when I did the interview, you could tell. But in mm. this case, when I did the interview, it was like truly that they knew me personally. They were trying to get to know me personally and that they um, and that they really cared about like what I would like and not like about this program and that they cared. And so they seemed like they would be really great mentors. And it turns out that that was the right fit. It was like the perfect fit. So I took the acceptance and it like I ended up loving the education that I had at my residency program because the chairman who's at the time he's no longer there but at the time that chairman was like the best mentor he was supportive he was supportive to me not only as an endo resident and like mm. understanding where what my interests were and my aspirations and and also trying to teach us as much as possible about endo but also supportive of me as like a woman so mm. he really knew because i was the only female in the program and really wow yeah i was the only Wait, how many out of uh, three in each class, so I was okay. only female out of six for all of my time there, basically. Like that's insane. The two years before me and the two years after me, there were no, there were no women. And so at first, like I was really worried, you know, because my my um, director had very high standards for us. He had very very high standards for what he expected of us, how he wanted us to to do endodontic treatment, to know the education, to know the, the literature and everything like that. But then sometimes I was worried, like, you know, oh my gosh, I'm the only female, like, I need to be at a higher level, like, not literally, but sometimes you want to prove yourself, right? You don't right, want to yeah. underestimate it. I was the youngest um, uh, resident also as well. So um, that was like really daunting at first. But then he really understood, like, you know, he he never was extra hard or treated me differently or was, like, ever any rude. He was very protective uh, for all of us as residents, too, at the program. So it was that kind of, like, mentorship that really, I think, made a difference to how I am as a, as a specialist, too. And he was also very, very supportive of what our future aspirations were, whether it was mm. for me, I was interested in lecturing and speaking a little bit, and it really helped to, like, develop that for all of us just in case but also um about like a little bit about business management and about like procedures and about endodontic treatment and all that stuff so he was like really really helpful and um a great mentor for all those things dr lloyd so shout out to dr lloyd um oh, and so uh yeah so so the moral of the story of all this is like putting yourself into as many opportunities as possible just in case the path might be different from what you thought it was but that way that you are op keeping yourself open to you know all the possibilities maybe a path that you didn't realize is actually the right one that's meant for you I really love that advice because I feel like sometimes when people hear the advice of like put yourself out there, things might surprise you. It's easy to think like, oh, this person lucked into it. But mm -hmm. really, what putting yourself out there is, is it's scary, it's daunting, but it's like believing in yourself and it's making that conscious decision to like bet on yourself, even though you're not sure if it's a viable option. Like, mm -hmm. like think of like all the opportunities where you're, like for example, you were like, do I really want to do this extra essay for, <laughs> for this school? Imagine if you didn't do the extra essay, exactly. right? 
Um, what advice do you have for anyone listening out there, any woman out there that's like, say she's like the only woman in the office that's mm-hmm. like dealing with that kind of situation? What words of wisdom do you have for them? Oh, you mean in a, sorry, in a, like, private practice setting, or did you mean in a residency, like, program? Any setting. Any setting where a woman's listening to this right now and she feels like she's really in a male-dominated space. I mean, I feel like we're all often feeling like that in healthcare and at work (laughs) and at, um... life. Even residency and stuff like that. But, like, it's tough. I'm not gonna lie. It is tough at first. It's tough because of sometimes there might be weird kind of attitudes or prejudice against us, but sometimes it's our own, the stuff that we kind of put on ourselves, the extra pressures, the extra, um, the extra like constant thinking about whether or not you're doing it the right way or you're doing it the best way or you're doing, you're, you know, um, performing at a higher level. And a lot of times, you know, the patients don't, actually mind as much as we think they do in fact a Mm. lot of times they feel more um comfortable in with female practitioners so actually trying to take to to find the joy and the happiness in those types of things and also like you know taking those like little wins the patients who are like oh my gosh you were so kind you were so um like uh caring about with your treatment i really felt like uh, comfortable with you as a as a doctor so taking those little wins and then um, with in those male dominated kind of fields or in male dominated situations, a lot of times the people there are actually more supportive than we think they are, but it's trying to just connect with people just on a personal level that can help you get there. So, mm. um, you know, we all have kind of initial thoughts about people or how they think that how they're going to perceive us, but just getting to know people as people, um, then a lot of times that will really help. making those connections so that people just connect to people you know you touched on something you know talking so much about confidence and things like that you have a skill that so many people out there like want and that is you're a really good public speaker like I like I know it's like part of your job as like a KOL and you're like a lecturer and like all of that but and we touched upon this briefly before we started recording because you were like, well, like, I don't know, like, in terms of, like, advice, what I would really give because I think, like, some people have the skill, some people, like, need to develop it. Mm-hmm. But I think everyone, when they're watching a presentation, they can tell, like, oh, that's a good presentation. Mm-hmm. So what are qualities that you think make a good presentation or speech? Okay. So that's a good question. I think with, especially with, um, in relation to like social media, we're looking at now social media is a lo- about a lot of like short form videos, short form content, a lot of like visual, high um, aesthetically pleasing visual content. I think a lot of good lectures now for everything, right? Whether mm. that's like a TED talk or dentistry or medicine, a lot of really good lecturers and a lot of good presentations now come with really good visuals. So um, having, you know, getting, learning how to, to make those really good visuals, whether that's like small videos or small like graphics or things like that. Um, Canva can be your friend, Keynote is your friend, or now PowerPoint is great at it too. So the, mm-hmm. learning the, the ins and outs of it to make it visually dynamic is going to be really important and that goes for everything like in the way we present another thing is for for like public speaking and lecturing so i personally didn't do like a specific um lecture course or speaking course i do know really fantastic 
lecturers who did. So a good friend, a couple of good friends of mine, they did things like Toastmasters and things like that, where it forces you to do a lot of public speaking and a lot of mm. and a lot of that type of public speaking. That's going to be really important. Um, I think that can help a lot of people. I didn't do that, but I personally, when I was in high school, and um, I did a lot of of speech and debate. So that mm. is where I got some of my kind of background in public speaking. I did like speech and debate, mock trial, and like other kind of competition level like speaking. Um, and then lastly, I think when we're doing that speaking and whether that is for lectures or presentations or even just how we present it to a patient, I think it's really important to have like a clear order to things kind of like a not only a clear outline but also like a clear story so where mm. it's going so whether that if that means that like even when we're speaking to a patient right there should be an outline like okay why are they what brought them here so what are their symptoms what are you finding what is the diagnosis what are the recommendations what can they expect after the treatment of recommendations so that type of outline have your little not literal script but have your little kind of like um uh, process of how you speak and that also goes for lectures like I like to have very um, fairly organized lectures with um, an outline a main idea kind of like five paragraph essay from back when we were in school yeah <laughs> idea you know details and then you know introduction conclusion all that type of stuff so that type of of layout for lectures and for speaking is is great for both just everyday type of speaking and then also for more professional presentations. It sounds like a lot of what goes into that then is kind of like when we approach making a presentation, people think like, okay, what do you want to say? But mm -hmm. really, you should be approaching it from a perspective of what do you want them to hear? Like, how do you exactly. want them to think? Mm -hmm. Or like, what do you want them to come away with? What are the main ideas of the presentation? Like, whenever we go to a like healthcare lecture, it always has like, okay, these are going to be the talking points, or these mm. are the learning points of that lecture, right? Yeah, so you want to focus on those learning points, okay? It should be like, you know, three to five main ideas. And for each of those main ideas, it has details. So it has the literature that backs them up and example cases that kind of thing got it mm -hmm. well it has now been, this hour like totally flew by i don't know like how it did literally i just like looked up at the clock for the first time and i'm like oh my gosh yeah. um <laughs> this was like such a fun conversation i just want to say thank you so much i feel like all the advice that you gave was super helpful super in-depth and it was just really great having like such a vulnerable chat with you um, if you could just leave everyone before we go with like all of your information, where they can find you and like any sort of, um, like email or anything, any way that they can contact you. All right. So thank you so much to everyone who's made it to this point of the video and has listened to, uh, Connie and I kind of, and actually not just Connie, future, soon to be <laughs> Dr. Wang. Thank you. Um, <laughs> talk a little bit if you want to learn a little bit more about endodontics, about endodontic education, definitely feel free to follow me at my Instagram. I'm a big fan of puns and dental jokes. You'll see on my Instagram. <laughs> my Instagram handle is Her Holiness the Pulp. I love it. Pulp. Um, <laughs> yeah. With underscores in between. And on my Instagram, you can also see a lot of endodontic education, specifically like tips, 
tricks. I answer a lot of endodontic questions on there. I also talk about my endodontic lectures. So I lecture specifically, if you want to look up my lectures, I uh, lecture specifically with Brassler and Henry Shine and also soon with Plan Mecca for CBCT coverage. So um, you could definitely see the specific links on my Instagram as well as if you just go to Henry Shine and look me up, Dr. Stephanie Tran at Henry Shine, you can look up my lectures. A lot of them are um, on demand. And then uh, if you have any specific questions, you can contact me at uh, my email. It's um, S-A-T-T-R-A-N-D-D-S at gmail.com. So thank you so much. I look forward to every, if you have any questions, if you want guidance, if you want me to, you know, take a look at a case or something like that, feel free to contact me. Oh my gosh, you're gonna, your inbox is going to get flooded with people because I feel like Endo is like... <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty used to it by now, so I get a lot of questions and stuff like that. But hey, that's how I learned when I was starting out as an uh, endodontist too. That's how I learned from both my mentors and also great mentors on Instagram and stuff. So, you know, there's definitely a lot of help out there and the best thing we can do is help each other too. That's so true. Thank you so much for your time, Dr. Steph, and thank you so much for everyone for listening. That's all I have this week, and I will see you guys next week. Thank Bye. you so much, everybody. Bye. Have a good night.